Hi guys, and welcome back to the Muscle Mentors podcast. We are back for episode, guest interview episode number 17. No, 18, sorry, Dean was 17, this is 18. Another reoccurring guest in the form of Mr. Joe Jeffrey. How are you, mate? Not bad, Cal. Thanks for having me back on. Little unnerving following the good doctor, Dean. <laughs> um, but I'll do my best. Um, not using any call to authority, you know. It always makes me laugh when... When Dr. Scott says, like, please don't call me doctor. But I mean, in this case, please don't call me doctor. I'm actually not. <laughs> um, today, we're going um, to run through, well, it kind of it works nicely following on from, from Dean's episode in regards to looking at some of the literature available to us. And if anyone knows Joe, Joe and literature go hand in hand. Um, his brain is like a research publication uh, database. Um, we're going to look at the literature with the long-term impacts on health when it comes to the use of TRT um, and dig into some of the kind of um, the rabbit holes when it comes to, to, to that, really. Yeah, so as you sort of alluded to on the last podcast with Dean um, with respect to whether you should come off in between periods of superphysiological use, whether you should... Um, drop down to a slightly lower superphysiological um, cruise period or whether you should TRT um, and very much in the the populace of social media this week has been a relative video discussing that most people should come off um, which would infer to me that there is some danger of TRT so um, I have no ethical opinion either way um, and as you say I think we should just look at what data we have available to us on the considerations that one would make here so is it dangerous to stay on a, a true physiological dose of trt and if so then surely it makes sense that we should come off in between those uh, blast periods right yeah um so we'll look at that um we, we can go through sort of one health issue at a time and then conclude at the end if you like if that works well perfect so in terms of like what long-term data says lots of long-term population-based epidemiological studies show an age-related decrease in total serum testosterone levels as does other morbidities like obesity or um, eating disorders as an example or in our field use of exogenous um, hormones um, many of these being reversible with improvement in the underlying disorders so we'd want to distinguish here between functional hypogonadism and organic hypogonadism. Organic being irreversible. This is usually characterized by clinically low serum testosterone and being due to some organic damage occurring at any level of the HPTA. Um, for those that don't know what that means, because I'll probably say HPTA a few times, that's a hypothalamus pituitary testes axes. Um, and the benefit of TRT in those cases is well established. If you've got clinically low testosterone, you require TRT. Multiple pieces of data show huge health effects in these cases. But are, are these us um, maybe transiently between periods of restarting HPTA function? Um, so the debate for the risk to reward ratio of TRT is seen mostly in cases of functional hypogonadism now where these cases could potentially be reversed with lifestyle changes. So this is probably more where we fall into. Yeah. Um, we, we could, if we wanted to, recover um, endogenous production eventually, 
hopefully in the majority of cases. Um, I know the FDA and the US Endocrine Society take the stance that TRT should only be used in those with organic damage. So it's probably worth saying that. Um, so the aim of this podcast really is to take you guys through the available literature on the long-term effects of TRT. And you can make up in your own mind if you want to stay on or, or come off in between your periods of super physiological use. Mm. Or even, I suppose, people listening to this, if you're an aging male and you have declining testosterone levels, you can consider um, what we're going to say in here as a consideration of whether you do want to use TRT yeah. or not. Um, although this isn't medical advice, I don't have any accreditations. I did get an accreditation this week for feeding a sloth at a zoo. Um, <laughs> that's, that's real. That's, um, that's true. They did give us a certificate. And that's as far as my education goes. So um, it's probably not a good idea to take much advice from me. Anyhow, yeah. so in 2003, the US National Institute on Aging funded a load of clinical trials, which are useful for us because we're only sort of seeing the results now. So these were set out as seven 52-week randomized placebo-controlled double-blind trials, so kind of the gold standard of research. And these included 788 hypogonadal men um, to revert right back, if anybody doesn't know what hypogonadal means, we're just talking clinically low testosterone, um, usually defined as under 200 nanograms per deciliter, but it varies. Um, and Cal, if at any point I'm talking really fast and throwing words out, please slow me down. I get critique for this all the time on podcasts. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, so, and, and these were in men over 65 years old. Um, and as I say, the results of these studies have been published over the past couple of years, which has given us some new evidence on the effects of TRT. Mm. Um, might be worth touching on how testosterone is prescribed, if anybody doesn't know. It was originally in pellets, and shortly after that, as injections uh, in the mid-1930s, I think. It probably was 1935. Um, so although we're talking about it being available for over 80 years, more manageable and practical options have really only been available in the last couple of decades, like transdermal gels and very long-acting injectable depots like the Decanoate esters. The, these formulas are available now. Um, because of this, the, the testosterone business, especially in the US, um, has been driven pretty hard with multiple large-scale reports analyzing insurance data, demonstrating a, a huge misuse of testosterone prescriptions. I know one survey, um, I'm not going to remember the references to all these as well, but I also don't want to just create like a bastardization of science here. So please, anybody that wants the references to any, anything I'm saying, just let me know. I, I could even um, collate them and put them on Instagram. If anybody wants that, let me know. Um, uh, but I, I believe the researcher was like, is it Balagian? It's something like that. Um, et al. They found that nearly 11 million men that are 40 and over who were prescribed TRT, only 75% of them even had their um, total testosterone checked prior to the prescription. So 25% of men just being given it um, without any blood work done prior. Um, anyway, let's get on to it. So uh, start with sexual function. It's probably a good place to start. Yeah. All of the available meta-analyses we have clearly demonstrate that TRT is effective in restoring sexual function and libido in men that are hypogonadal. Um, anyone that has ever come off steroids and it's a few weeks down and you're, you're likely hypogonadal at that point knows these feels. Um, so there's a, <laughs> at least one positive for you there. Um, 
And conversely, there's zero effect when TRT is given to men with normal testosterone levels, as you'd imagine. So it doesn't, however, seem to have as large of an effect on erectile dysfunction. Um, only really clinically relevant in subjects with mild erectile dysfunction. Um, and it's been reported that these effects on erectile dysfunction are attenuated in subjects with conditions such as obesity and diabetes, uh, I guess maybe due to vascular damage. So in terms of like erectile dysfunction, probably not driven um, by testosterone levels as such, but libido, um, yes. So this is in line with what we've seen in the trials that I mentioned at the beginning. Um, there's an increase in sexual activity, which is noted as anything from flirting to sexual intercourse proportional to the increase in testosterone levels so you know more test more sexual activity again in our case anybody that's gone to those higher testosterone levels sometimes it can be an uncomfortable amount of libido um as i say yep a greater effect in libido and sexual activity rather than erectile function was observed in these studies um other data from observational studies shows the same thing um, and I, I don't think these results are surprising considering there are several factors beyond hormonal issues that drive sexual desire, psychological relation, uh, relational issues, things like that. Mm. Um, so one meta-analysis has been published looking at a, a combined therapy of TRT and a PD-5 inhibitor like Cialis, for example. And again, they didn't really appear to have any effect when looking at um, the placebo-controlled um, RCTs. Um, ejaculatory function is a topic of discussion that comes up. So some studies do show a relationship between delayed ejaculation and reduced testosterone. Observational studies document that TRT can improve um, orgasmic function. Um, one placebo-controlled RCT that I know of measuring this area showed that um, a transdermal testosterone gel did improve semen volume ejaculatory frequency and force of ejaculation and all that good stuff force um, of ejaculation so, eh? That's yeah, so <laughs> extreme ejaculation power with higher testosterone doses yeah uh, for anyone that doesn't know transdermal is basically um like a, a gel you'd rub it on yourself as it's come under conflicting um uh, sort of attack in in the trt world whether it's a good idea um there's these strange case reports of it rubbing off on, on people's wives or their pets or I'm not sure how true as I say pets my dog shakes in the background apologies for any more pattering around say again why did Jazz just run out of the room <laughs> yeah, what are you doing oh she's uh, it's a chicken leg that the dog's um, instead of eating it's just like running around and, and burying it and nice. stuff um, so sexual function good news TRT does help good so um, we know that hypogonadal males have a large issue with sexual function and sexual activity. Yeah. TRT remedies that, um, apparently with no negative health issue within those areas at least. Um, so obesity, um, evidence shows that obesity is a risk factor for developing secondary hypogonadism, which in basic terms means where the brain fails to signal the testes properly as opposed to primary hypogonadism being when the brain is signaling to the testes to make testosterone, but they're not responding correctly. Anyway, only a few randomized controlled uh, trials have looked at the effect of TRT on obese individuals. I would hope that um, 
the people listening to this aren't obese individuals, but um, as we say, there may be people listening to this that are considering TRT that are older males. Um, this dog is making so much noise. Go upstairs. There we go. He is going upstairs as well. So he does what he's told. Um, <laughs> Fui et al. showed that TRT use in obese individuals um, who were also receiving a low calorie diet. Um, this is interesting. Fat mass is reduced and lean mass is increased. So an improvement in body composition with no change to their final weight. So a complete body composition. Um, cool. Similar results are seen in a recent meta-analysis with respect to final weight staying the same. So if you're coming from a hypogonadal state and TRT does appear to have very positive body composition effects here. Um, the issue with these for me is that the follow-up time is less than three years. So we don't really know what's happening to body composition short term. Is this a novel effect? Knowing what we know about hypertrophy and, and body composition, probably. Um, not to say that's a bad thing. Um, it's 100% positive. But are you going to continue to gain muscle and lose body fat forever? Yeah. Unlikely. Yeah. Um, however, what we do know is that weight loss obtained in whatever way, um, so like diet or physical activity, th these do improve total testosterone levels in and of themselves um, and do in many cases revert obesity-induced secondary hypogonadism. So if you are listening to this and you are obese, then just start dieting and training first. Um, however, what comes to mind if you are extremely obese um, and like there are physical limitations to you exercising, then maybe TRT will, will help you via a reduction in fat mass and just give you a greater mobility or something. Um, that would be in rare, that would be a pretty rare circumstances, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, not highly relevant to our population that we're discussing here, but I'm trying to at least cover all bases. I don't know if yeah. this is going to make it to somebody that's just Googling testosterone replacement therapy, you know. Um, so, in terms of type 2 diabetes or metabolic syndrome, there's only a few placebo-controlled, um, randomized-controlled trials that have looked at TRT for individuals with type 2 diabetes or metabolic syndrome. The largest study I could find on this was 220 subjects and it didn't document a reduction in HbA1c or BMI after 26 weeks of treatment. Although there was an improvement in the homeostatic model assessment of insulin resistance, which is HOMA IR. I think we spoke about this, Cal, the other day. Yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah, um, that's a pretty cool one. Um, so there was an improvement there. Um, on type 2 diabetic only subjects, an RCT on 199 men in the UK did show a large improvement in HbA1c after 30 weeks of treatment with testosterone undecanoate, so a very long ester. Um, with and Joe, before, for listeners, explain what HbA1c is and what does that represent on a blood panel? So when we're looking at things like um, insulin sensitivity um, or glucose control, we get... Um, two levels that I think are useful are HbA1c and that HOMA IR. So you'd want to get HbA1c tested to, well, I mean, I say to monitor a person's diabetes and help to manage their treatment um, options, but I think in bodybuilders, it's, it's, a, it's a useful marker as well. So some of the glucose in your blood is going to bind to hemoglobin, which is a protein that carries oxygen into your RBCs, your red blood cells, and a combination of glucose and hemoglobin is called hemoglobin A1C. 
the amount of HbA1c formed is directly related to the average concentration of glucose in your bloodstream. Red blood cells can live for some time, like two or three months. And because of this, the amount of HbA1c in your blood reflects the average level of glucose in your blood over the last two or three months. So it's pretty cool. Whereas with like a, a blood glucose reading, you're transiently looking at what's happening within that moment itself. With a HbA1c, you can look over the past few months. Um, and if you're sort of, um, in, in the case of diabetes, if it's not well controlled, your blood glucose levels will be high, causing a higher HbA1c. Yeah, essentially. Um, and the, the, the Homer IR reading is, is basically a, a, an, an equation. I can't remember off the top of my head where they'll look at the level of fasted insulin in your blood um, alongside your blood glucose and use that as a marker of insulin resistance, which is a pretty cool one. We, we spoke about that the other day. I haven't had many clients do that at this point. but um, You did tell me the equation, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, because I looked it up and then I forgot it. <laughs> yeah, I, remember. I should have made notes, um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was with test and decan 08, which is a really long ester. And, and that, there was no change in BMI again, but they did see a, a big decrease in waist circumference. Um, these all have their limitations and we'd, we'd need more research with much greater follow-up times, in my opinion. So, so far we know that... Um, CRT as, compo as compared to um, being hypergonadal, which remember you will transiently be between periods of blast um, phases, improves libido and possibly improves markers of insulin resistance or insulin sensitivity. No negative effects um, noted, at least in um, type 2 diabetes and libido control uh, or sort of sexual function in general um, but definitely negatives if you are hypergonadal keeping in mind here a theme that we're going to have to carry on through this podcast is that in between your periods of super physiological use if you are um, blasting and then coming off you are going to be hypergonadal for some time at least um, before your hbg axis reinstates function so um, these are potential negatives of those periods to be aware of um okay so in terms of bone health that's one worth covering because we we kind of spoke about it when we did the ai episode so bone health absolutely requires sex steroids in the normal physiological range no questions asked so i mean we really covered it there but estrogen that's going to occur via the aromatase pathway from bioidentical testosterone if you're hypergonadal you're not going to have a sufficient aromatase um, activity to drive bone mineral density from estrogen. Um, data derived from those testosterone trials that we spoke about do show that TRT increases bone mineral density. So again, if you are gonna choose to be hypergonadal in those periods, be aware that there could be potential with extended periods spent hypergonadal. Um, let's say you're doing this cycle PCT for years on end. Um, you are risking possible bone mineral density loss over time. Okay, so um, we did have a question on mood and cognitive function. So many observational studies show a correlation between low testosterone and poor mood. Um, I mean, we've seen that. We, we know that happens in the bodybuilding world. It's, it's, it's almost a meme when someone comes off cycle and they feel like shit, right? Um, as far as I know, the, the relationship between depressive symptoms and, and low testosterone 
is unclear. Data from those testosterone trials and a huge meta-analysis on uh, that had like 27 um, RCTs in it on nearly 2,000 men showed a positive effect on depressive symptoms on TRT is only really evident in those that had mild symptoms prior. Um, that's what the data says anyway. However, personally, not so sold on that. I think, again, more research needed, but a lot of anecdote is seen in our field of people that do come off and say, I feel awful. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, in terms of cognition, low testosterone is associated with cognitive impairment. This is seen in studies on people with prostate cancer that get androgen deprivation. And we see it in the general public as well. So in those testosterone trials, when looking at cognitive function trials specifically, um, TRT actually failed to demonstrate any effect on improving cognitive function in nearly 500 individuals with age-associated memory impairment. So the data not supporting my hypotheses here so much. Um, however, a very um, unique population that doesn't necessarily fit us we're talking about age-related associations in, in older hypogonadal men might not translate to the possible large swings that I would say mostly contribute to depressive symptoms, going from supraphysiological androgens to um, clinically low status of androgens very quickly would note, in terms of observations, because we're not looking at specific markers here, I feel like that's what's going to show the greatest net effect. Not like if something very slowly declines, you may not notice it. Yeah. Um, so if we were going to cover safety as a as a broad bracket, this, the safety of TRT, really, this what this whole podcast is about. So the safety concern that the safety concerns of of long term TRT use are highly conflicted, as we've seen in that post. You know, yeah. both in the anecdote that post, for example, and research. So um, to me specifically, the two things that are brought up are cardiovascular health and prostate health. Um, unless there's others that you can think about off the top of your head. Um, I think cardiovascular prostate, and then as we said before, and Dean brush on it, more of the psychological aspects as well. Mm. Yeah. So um, let's do cardiovascular then. So in one RCT, one meta-analysis, and two observational studies that I'm aware of, published between 2010 and 2014, they emphasized a possible increased CV risk related to TRT. Um, these studies definitely had their limitations, but they were enough at the time for the FDA to issue a safety warning against the misuse of testosterone in, I believe, was 2015. Um, it's worth noting that the European Medical Agency didn't share the FDA's opinion here due to the lack of convincing evidence in these data. Um, so really, we need to dig into that evidence ourselves. So firstly, a double-blind double placebo-controlled RCT. It was called um, Testosterone in Older Men with Mobility Limitations. I think that, that might be wrong. Um, I'll have to dig that up. Um, this was aimed at evaluating any improvement in mobility outcomes in just over 200 men that were hypogonadal. Um, the study was dropped prior to completion due to the higher cardiovascular related events in the treatment group. So on the surface, that sounds pretty bad. Yes. Yeah, so 
our study was dropped prior to completion because of the higher CV related events in the treatment group. But the limitation of that study is that the men enrolled in the study were a population group with a high prevalence of associated morbidities anyway. And they were given super physiological doses of 100 milligrams of T gel a day. I think that was a 2% T gel. And um, the, the weirdest thing for me in that study is the CV events were not adjudicated. So even minor incidences like self-reported edema, they considered CV events. Like peripheral edema isn't a CV event. Like you, you know all about that, Cal. I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, within those testosterone trials that we spoke about, the, the data for the CV trial was, uh, has recently become available. Um, the study was around 130 subjects and they were tested to see if TRT would improve CV outcome, such as arterial non-calcified plaque volume. Um, the results showed that TRT significantly increased arterial plaque progression through 12 months of treatment. So this study has some obvious flaws. So there was a larger non-calcified plaque volume in the placebo arm of the study at the enrollment. And Although the plaque volume showed a, a greater increase in the active arm of the study, the men enrolled in the testosterone group still had a lower volume at the end point. So at the end point, there's no differences between groups in terms of other important CV outcomes like calcium scores. So really, those, those studies are, I, I wouldn't pay any attention to. Um, alongside these, there were two epidemiological studies that supported an increased CV risk with TRT. So um, one from Vegan L at OWL in 2013. Um, it, was, it was like a data analysis, nearly 10,000 American veterans. Um, uh, the men on TRT versus the men um, who were hypogonadal had a greater risk of major adverse uh, CV events. Um, there's similar data reported by Finkel et al, analyzing an insurance database, um, where TRT is associated with a, a twofold increased risk of heart attack in men over 65. But I mean, both studies main limitation being that we've got no idea of the, the dose of testosterone used, the frequency, the type, any of their blood work, you know, the, these sort of observational and epidemiological studies, like honestly, are quite a waste of time. So if we look at some proper data right now, we've got like nine systematic meta-analyses evaluating the effect of um, long-term TRT on CV risk from placebo-controlled RCTs. And of the nine, only one from Zoo et al. showed an increased CV risk. Um, none of the other meta-analyses did. Um, and it's especially important to note here that similar to what we discussed earlier, uh, Zoo et al. there used a broad definition of CV events. So the, the overall number of events is going to be increased. Like we were talking about edema, like peripheral edema is not a CV event really, is it? Um, so as it stands there, the, the, the good pieces of data that we have, systematic meta-analyses, don't support that long-term TRT has any relative CV risk. So we could write that one off, in my opinion. Um, okay, another one's hematocrit, I think, if we're going to talk CV. So it's a, it's a risk factor for CV mortality. The specific threshold relation um, in relevance to an increased CV risk isn't agreed upon as far as I know. Uh, generally, if you're over 54%, I think that's 
an indication for phlebotomy in most cases. So people are looking at their blood work and they're hitting over that 54, 55% on hematocrit, which is essentially your blood viscosity. They'll be thinking, shit, I need to go and donate some blood. Um, evidence does show that TRT can increase hematocrit through multiple mechanisms. Um, the available meta-analyses that we discussed did, do show that testosterone-treated subjects have a three to four-fold increased risk of elevated hematocrit. Um, the highest risk, however, appears to be in preparations that are causing high fluctuations of testosterone. I think there's something Dean spoke about when he talked about microdosing yeah. tests. Um, so when we, when we look at data from like the most updated meta-analyses, when we're using long-acting um, transdermal applications or the undecanoate that we spoke about, um, where there's relatively stable levels, there's zero increased risk um, of high um, red blood cells there. So again, write that one off. Um, and that would probably be more of an indication not to avoid TRT, but rather than to avoid dosing in such a way that causes high peaks and troughs of androgens when you do use them. Yeah. Um, so another CV one would be um, venous thromboembolism. So that's like uh, where a blood clot forms in deep vein. So deep vein thrombosis and it's going to travel in circulation. Uh, basically, there doesn't really appear to be any association. Um, in one meta-analysis from Houghton et al. looking at placebo-controlled RCTs, which is around 2,000 patients, I think they conclude that current evidence doesn't support uh, an association between T use and, and VTE. So... CV risk is none when we look at the, the good data, but it would be quite easy for somebody to cherry pick that. Um, hopefully that's not what people think I'm doing right now because I'm, I'm not on either side of the fence here. But um, when we look at good pieces of data, and there definitely is a hierarchy when looking at um, evidence-based evidence, evidence-based practice, um, of the kind of studies that are worth noting when you look at the, the good ones, you know, um, randomized controlled trials and, um, that are double blinded and meta-analyses, um, doesn't appear there's any increase in CV risk of TRT use. Yeah. Um, prostate, we said, so that's a big one. Several meta-analyses have, have invested, uh, have investigated the role of TRT on prostate safety. It's a huge one. Um, and again, it'd be quite easy to cherry pick this because TRT does induce a short term increase in prostatic specific antigen levels um, or prostate volume. Um, but if you look at any of the studies lasting longer than a year, there's zero risk of prostate cancer or, or any other prostate related events. Um, and, and data from the testosterone trials, again, that we spoke about, they match these observations with zero difference between treatment groups or placebo. Um, which also matches findings from registry studies, which are shit, but you know, if it's all matching up. Um, so again, no apparent increased risk there. So if I was going to conclude, I think data derived from RCTs and observational studies clearly demonstrate that TRT can improve erectile um, function, libido and sexual health in men with hypogonadism. Um, Low testosterone levels are definitely associated with worse metabolic profiles and higher cardiovascular risks. 
Mm. Um, and when testosterone is used properly within the physiological range, which again, balancing off what Dina said, within the physiological range, we see no increased CV risk. Um, uh, ideally, there'd be longer term trials. We don't have them yet. But right now, um, there's, there's no increased risk in, in CV outcomes or prostate. Note that this is definitely in, in the physiological range. So, uh, whether you ethically decide to cruise above that physiological range or not, you know, whatever that's down to you, but just be aware that above the, the physiological range of testosterone, those risks will increase. Um, but in terms of whether you should come off or stay on TRT, based on the available evidence, you are not at any risk if you are cruising, so to speak, at a true TRT level that reflects a total testosterone that's going to be within the, the mid to upper physiological range. Um, if anything, you're mitigating a lot of risks. There. Can, we, can we briefly, well, not briefly, but can we discuss the potential more negative impacts of constantly running PCT as well? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, PCT drugs themselves um, have their own negative health issues, big time. Um, I think, I don't know whether I spoke about it on the AI podcast. I mean, the AI podcast would be pretty relevant here because yeah. we spoke about um, aromatase inhibitors and, and also a little bit on um, CIRMs and what they can do to your health on there. Um, sometimes talking about health doesn't really swing a bodybuilder's head, but if I said that you could massively um, bring detriment to your growth hormone IGF axis stimulation, people might listen. So that's a big thing um, with CIRMs. Um, in terms of, so we can stand this, in terms of what the data shows on PCT, we don't really have any data um, that shows that you will reinstate HPTA function faster with a PCT as compared to just coming off. Yeah. Um, so considering that these drugs have their own health issues and there is no data that you are going to improve your ability to reinstate function, if anything, you're just delaying the process. Um, I believe actually there's one study not yet published that's Dutch, that's on a group of bodybuilders, but um, where some of the group using PCT, some of them not, and there was no difference noted in, in time taken to reinstate HPG axis function. But my biggest question to those people would be, why are you trying to reinstate HPG axis function when you are going to just shut it down anyway? Yeah. So essentially you're, you're talking about sort of transiently having hypogonadal testosterone levels until eventually, yes, I'm, I'm back up, I'm functioning whenever that may be. Uh, I've, you know, my, my HPG axis has been working for two weeks and I'm going to shut it back down again. Um, it's an odd way to run through things. And, there appears to be zero negative with TRT, many negatives with PCT drugs and just being hypogonadal in general. Yeah. Um, we can have a look at the questions if you want. No, I got yeah, through. Let me. Um, so the first one is what motivates you to use TRT? Um, needing it. Um, what motivates you to use TRT? Well, the fact that you would have a better quality of life, better health outcomes, um, assuming that you're being hypogonadal there. 
Um, can you save money self-medicating TRT? Yes, uh, it's definitely cheaper, but then you would be dealing with UGL drugs that are not pharmaceutical preparations. Um, they come with their own health risk, and if you're not being monitored by an endocrinologist, then um, maybe you are not knowledgeable enough to do that. But if you're in the UK, you're within your legal right to do so, I believe. Um, but I definitely can't advise on that. That would be irresponsible. Yeah. Uh, what else have we got? Mood and cognition, we spoke about that. Cardiac abnormalities, we spoke about that. Why are doctors so reliant on aromatase inhibitors in, in TRT? How prevalent are things like masteron? Um, actually, the only TRT doctor I've ever seen use androgens, like non-estrogenic non androgens, is Dr. Serrano, who's a brilliant doctor. It's Austin's doctor, he's great. Um, why uh, doctors so reliant on aromatase inhibitors? Because it's easy and it's dogma and they are not yet necessarily up on the most recent literature, I believe. Um, I think a lot of forward-thinking endocrinologists are, but if you're seeing like your GP, um, which many people do, like I was talking to a girl today that's on HRT from her GP, um, and you can't blame them. They're, they're not going to know about complex endocrine issues it's not their job you know fair enough um but i just recommend that you see a good endocrinologist um and go and listen to um the ai podcast that we just yeah. i'll put that link in the um i'll put that link in the, in the description actually um is using a dht instead of an ai for trt um, healthier a uh, great debate. If you're asking me personally, I'd say the risk to reward ratio of using a androgen to balance your androgen to estrogen ratio as opposed to an aromatase inhibitor is definitely favorable. But really, when we're talking physiological dosages, it'd be highly abnormal to require one. Yeah. Look at other routes like microdosing or um, subcutaneous applications and things that are going to reduce aromatase pathway activation um, first. And the last question was, um, is a loss of libido common on long-term TRT? The data doesn't seem to support that. No, quite the opposite. That would be that. And, and with the, like, with all of those elements, how much of that comes down to into individuality in terms of, you know, the, the individual response between populations will, to an extent, be different with these different variables? from a health perspective anyway, and how much of it plays into, you know, people's genetic predisposition to have these issues in the first place. And then it's just exacerbated about by what they're doing long-term. Oh yeah. 100%. I would say that things like super physiological testosterone use, it's not going to load the gun, so to speak, but it can definitely pull the trigger if you have predispositions. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that these risks exist with TRT and the data doesn't seem to correlate with that either. And it, it, I mean, if we were podcasting here talking about the risks of using super physiological dosages, that's quite different. Yeah. Um, if, but if we're discussing this, I mean, the video that people wanted us to talk about was by some, IFBB, I don't, I don't know who he is, IFBB pro competitor saying that you absolutely should cycle off. Um, 
and this is meant to just be an evidence-based approach, if we were comparing um, genetic risk factors of staying on TRT versus cycling off, well, if anything, those genetic risk factors to health issues are going to be greater expressed in the individual that is spending time being hypogonadal. Yeah. Because we are literally just comparing having a normal testosterone level that's endogenous or having a normal testosterone level that's exogenously produced. That there's not really any difference there. Yeah. Yeah, a, like, like, like Dean had discussed, I think the, the gray area and some of the confusion there is, is the application of an actual physiological cruise in the first place, because there obviously is a lot of potential misconception there, i.e., you know, I'll take half of what I was on and that's going to be my cruise, but we need to analyze blood work and actually situate ourselves in the appropriate range. Yeah, I think I, I think that will come down to your individual risk to reward factors. And, and, and I'm not up to say who should use what drug, you know, I mean, you can blast year round and, and people do. do. Do you need to cruise? No, you know, <laughs> like, are you going to have diminishing returns to anabolic use? Um, potentially you may want to up the dose over time incrementally in a, a milligram per kilogram kind of scheme if you were saying i'm going to be mr olympia and i don't care if i if i die in five years you know fine it uh, is there a middle ground in there where you cruise slightly higher at like a 300 milligram of testosterone or something yeah it will have less negative health consequences than than your blast doses but there will be negative health consequences nonetheless um yeah the greater androgen exposure over the longer period of time will result in a negative health outcome. Yeah. Um, as long as people aren't lying to themselves and accepting the risk whilst doing it, um, fine, you know, you can do whatever you want. Um, but understand that the health risks are only mitigated here when we're in the physiological range. If you're above that, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> there's definitely a greater risk likely as opposed to coming off. Yeah. yeah. If health's your goal, Based on the data here, um, it would be staying on at a TRT dose. Mm. Yeah, and that's the the whole point of these two two episodes of, of you know most definitely not being aimed at telling you what to do. It's more so just educating you as to you know why we potentially would pick these these actions to take and the ramifications of that long term, um, and potentially some of the confusion that was that was being expressed prior to this. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, when I, I always say, um, you know, and I've caught flack for this, but maybe this, this data helps clarify this in, in the hormone use should be a lifelong endeavor. Mm. That doesn't mean you go on and you stay on blast dose just forever. That means that consider if you want to maximize or rather minimize the negative health implications of, of your exogenous hormone use, then staying on, according to the data we have available to us right now is absolutely the best course of action as long as it is within a physiological realm um, yep. and there's little sense in stopping hpg axis function restarting it stopping it and every time it takes a little bit longer to kick back in every time you're in a hypogonadal state a little bit longer eventually it doesn't come back on at all you know it's it's just very much an, an odd sequence of things where you're just starting something to stop it again and vice versa mm. practically doesn't make any sense to me yeah i think the the fascinating element of all of this as well is you know how 
how how fresh some of this literature is and in the next you know 50 years 100 years what we're actually going to be finding out with this stuff as well you know yeah for sure i mean that's why that's why i sort of went through that literature and like apologies to anyone listening if it just sounds like a tirade of words coming out of my mouth about this literature but it's it's um it's very new and it's information that hasn't really been spoken about up until now and it will at least if you know people are listening to this that are that are starting their journey of using anabolics and they may be using it for the next god knows how long um here is some data at least to say um what we know right now up to date because some of these these um references were were right as new as the 10th of january and we're recording on like the what is it the 16th or something um 19th god i'm living in the past um you know the, the relatively well, not even relative, just very new data. Um, so we're, we're right up to date here. And as far as I know, that those new testosterone trials that were funded are, are pretty interesting, if not just confirming some stuff that we thought we already knew, but at least it is real good evidence. Yeah. Good quality evidence, which is usually lacking. And it's definitely lacking in other anabolics, but at least with testosterone, we're seeing that, that stuff now. Good quality evidence that we can draw information from. And the, the ability for you to decide for that, you know, it's very important to take home the difference between the an, the analyze the analyzing of a study, but then you know the the people that will be skimming through and reading abstracts and how it's so easy to be misled in that capacity as well. Yeah, so the, every study has flaws, and it's definitely important. And, and I made sure that we did cover the relative flaws of what we were looking at yeah. today. It's easy to take one of those observational studies and be like, whoa, these 9,000 men had, had higher cardiac instance. You, you know, <laughs> there was zero control on those studies. It was from the insurance database. Yeah. Those things, you know, it's easy to cherry pick from and to make your argument with. And it's easy to do these days. You know, everyone's seen game changers. That's the biggest ridiculous example of this. Um, so hopefully providing some clarity. And I hope nobody listened to this thinking, yeah, but this guy's just pro- TRT or whatever, you know, um, that's not the case. <laughs> it, it really doesn't matter to me what anybody does, um, but hopefully this provides some clarity. Amazing. Thank you for your time, my friend. Yeah, of course, man. We will, um, yeah, I think that, that follows on from Dean's episode very nicely, very nicely. Yeah, I know that's a bit of a, a boring one with a lot of just study references, but at least it's a good resource to link people to. Um, uh, you say that though but the you know feedback on those episodes people do want to hear about the the stuff that you know the topics that we're talking about people do want to actually hear the actual science and application behind it as well so it's interesting to actually hear the literature first not just the the, the ideas and the concepts yeah and these are the kind of things that would be cool on the site with like a, a powerpoint where it'd be like here's this piece of data from this time let's compare it to this piece of data this is pretty cool and then this bit of data, you know, and then as you translate all of those studies, that's when it gets pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, but that's stuff for the future, for sure. I know Luke says he's been working hard on it. It's ready to go, mate. February. February, it's ready to go. We're just, um, we're compiling the first kind of batch of, of videos because like, there obviously needs to be a kind of a preset database for when we make it live. So um, there'll be five videos ready to go within each of the kind of um, intersections of the website and obviously the exercise library being populated at the same time 
um and then we've made a we've made like a a timeline of how we're going to publish them and it will be two a week obviously over everyone that's going to be involved in publishing content so the videos in terms of frequency across a month will, there'll be a there'll be a fair bit of content but um the idea being that because they are going to be educational in the nature and like we're going to get into like the cool training stuff later on but ultimately the website is a platform for education um you know the once we've got that initial stream of videos up and running then it will just flow from there but um the videos won't be the kind of videos where you know you, you go on and watch a five minute video and then never watch it again it's going to be something that you can actually take an almost like webinar format and, and write notes and absorb and then move on to the next one when you're ready um which should be cool yeah sweet that sounds good man i look forward to getting stuck into that eventually i know luke said um some sometime in a few months when it's been launched for a while I'll yeah come on and do videos or whatever yeah it'd be awesome i think that's to be honest as well that's probably when when we when we look at actual literature which is up to date and 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 new and contemporary there's there's not many other places doing that as well so that'd be really cool yeah it's funny because scott's just emailed me something about drinking a protein shake in the night a lot of this stuff I read from Scott and think Luke would lose his fucking mind. Like, yeah, he would. What about sleep? I know. But then like, he's linked something. What's this? Um, yeah, if you wake up in the night, have a shake. <laughs> yeah, just don't tell Luke. <laughs> Honestly, man, there's a lot of stuff that Scott says to me, and I'm like, I ain't never mentioning that to Luke. <laughs> but then it, but it's a funny one because it's, you know, because. Scott is so well learned. Like, it's ridiculous speaking to him. It's like, I can't believe some of the stuff sometimes. Um, like, the call we had yesterday was just ridiculous. Yes, oh, good. here you go. Um, Biorhythm corroborated by Stu Phillips of McMaster's um, 0.6 gram per kilogram of um, pro uh, whey protein or casein. Um, here's some unpublished research. Um, circadian rhythm protein timing like where's he finding this shit like un unpublished literature the dark uh, web yeah yeah dude it's funny I was on the phone for so long yesterday it's ridiculous I remember you saying because we, we were booking in this call and Joe was like I'm not sure if he's going to take one hour or four hours on the phone with Scott so let's uh, <laughs> take it Sunday instead of Saturday I keep saying to him like, oh, man, I'll let you go and he's like no no I'm cool I'm cool I'm like yeah, but dude, I've got shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Get a call with him, man. They're really good. Yeah, we will for sure. We want to get him on the podcast as well. That'd be really um, get him on the podcast. Oh, he said. Um, he says, "Hey, I saw your friend Callum's doing fortitude training." I was like, "Yeah, man." Yeah, he followed me on Instagram. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. He's um, he's a cool guy. Um, he's a cool guy. Right, well, um, we'll wrap it up there, dude. Thank you for uh, thank you for your time once again. Yeah, man. Anytime, anytime. And um, we'll catch up soon. Yeah, dude. Have a good night. I'll see you later.